morning, everyone. Good morning, um, family. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Neil de Villiers. Um, I have the privilege to be the youth pastor here at Every Nation Linwood. Um, and I really hope, yes, I brought my, my, my team. <laughs> I knew that that was going to happen and I was waiting for it. Um, um, I really hope that you had an amazing Christmas time together as friends and family. And if you were away for the holidays and you, you've come back, welcome back. Um, for me, this time of the year, and this festive time of the year is, is really an amazing time of the year, right? Because we have this opportunity to, to actually spend time and catch up with our friends. Um, we have the opportunity to, to go and buy gifts for people and bless people with gifts. Yes, amen. Any children that is very happy with their Christmas gifts, now is the opportunity to say thank you. Amen. Amen. Um, maybe there's some of you, like myself, that was able to catch up on some homework. And not, kids, I'm not speaking about homework, I'm speaking about house, like gardening, um, cleaning stuff around the house, some chores maybe, yes. Um, I had the opportunity in this holiday to tick off one of the things that I have said I was going to do in August, um, but I had time now, amen, come on. Um, and it was cleaning our roof on our stoop. And to the absolute amazement of my wife, um, I was standing on two large beams across spread leg, trying to clean all the leaves and stuff. My wife standing at the bottom, taking photos and videos. Yes. And you can actually hear in the video of when I took the screenshot of, and my wife was standing and laughing at me. Don't you just hate that, men? When you do all the hard work at home and then come back to find out that she's laughing at you. But I can tell you one thing that when I came down from the roof, I had this sense of achievement. I was like, yeah, ticked off one thing. Now I can go into the new year with new lists. Amen? I can go into the new year doing stuff again. New cleaning up again. And that is what we do, right? We have this time to tick off our tick lists from August, and then we have time to make new lists, a.k.a. New Year's resolutions. I hear the silence drop in the room because I know that New Year's resolutions is quite a hot topic of debate. Some people believe in it, some people don't. There's the dreamers that's sitting amongst us. Any one of you that still make New Year's resolutions? Any, anyone? Yes? Where this year I am going to go camping. Yes? This year I'm going to go on adventures. Amen. Any one of you? That still makes list. Anyone that's the the exercise box that's already been written out, that list. Then there is some of us sitting amongst us in the crowd that has totally given up on New Year's resolutions, right? You have come to the age where you have realized New Year's resolutions is a load of nonsense because after two weeks, that diet is just not for me anymore. Or you have come to the place where you recognize that your gym membership at Virgin Active is just costing you money now because you're not going anymore. Any one of you? Amen. So this morning, I'm not going to say whether New Year's resolutions is right or wrong. You can go on with that debate at home. But what I want to get to is 
why do we make these New Year's resolutions? And I want to ask you the question, what is your reason for making these New Year's resolutions or plans for 2024? And then I want to ask, does it come from a place of seeking changes that will make you feel or look better? Or all these lists coming from a place where you fully are content with where you are and with God's goodness in your life. And therefore, you want to steward that which he has given you more faithfully. You see, friends, when we are unhappy with our lives, we start making lists so that the external things in our lives will hopefully start changing the internal, right? We start doing externally we want to look better, feel better, speak better, do better things. But the reality is on the inside, we are facing something that is much more of a reality than just trying to change our circumstances or our challenges or our realities. And the problem is when it comes down to the point where it's actually starting to define who we are as people. So this morning, I believe in my preparation um, for this word, the word that I've received from God is to be content in all circumstances. To be content in all circumstances. And what I want to do this morning is I want to look at the life of Paul as he has written to the Philippians that we are supposed to be content in all circumstances. And I want to use the life of Paul as a model that we are able to learn from how to be content. So that is the question. How can we be content? You can turn your Bibles with me to Philippians 4 as I'm going to pray for the scripture this morning. Lord, I pray that as we read the scripture this morning that you would come and speak to us. As much as my words can bring life, your breath brings life in us, Lord. And I pray, Father, that the scripture would be revealed to us in such a way that we would be able to make good content resolutions from a place of knowing you and submitting unto you, Lord. Pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Philippians 4 verse 10 to 13. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Christ, through him who strengthens me. Now, family, I don't know um, if you grew up in the in the age where um, people took quite a significant biblical quotes and used it as WhatsApp wallpapers. Um, but in my generation, the millennials, we used these kind of stuff, these powerful statements and scriptures to make us feel better in certain situations when we know that it's going to be difficult. Amen. We know that it's going to be a challenge and we use these scriptures to make us feel better. But when I look in, in the context of what Paul was writing here, I do not believe that he was writing this from a place of strength. I think that Paul was writing 
this scripture, I can do all things through Christ from a place of knowing God, knowing what God has spoken over his life and knowing the purpose that he was supposed to fulfill. And therefore, he was able to do all things through Christ. When we look at the scripture, we see that, you know, Paul was writing the scripture, this letter to the Philippian church from a Roman prison. Not the first time he was in prison, but the second time that he was in prison. Of all the many times that he was in prison. He writes to the Philippian church and he says to them, I thank you for all that you have done for me and that I thank you that you had concern for me and I thank you for your partnership with me in the gospel, even to the point where you have sent someone to me to serve my needs whilst I'm in prison. Epaphroditus was this person which the Philippian church has sent from Philippi to Rome to serve and to be with Paul in, in Rome. And then Paul sends him back with his letter and says, Philippian church, thank you for all that you have done. But please do not be concerned for me. Because I have learned to be content in all and every circumstance that I face. Even to the point where he was awaiting trial for his life. So what makes this contentment even more significant is when we look at the life of Paul from where he started up until the point where he's writing this scripture. Paul, who was Saul before he met Jesus on the road to Damascus, was a Pharisee. Amen. And Pharisees were notorious, they were well known for their love for money, their love for greedy, taking stuff from people, and even to the point where they started exploiting their own people for the gain of themselves and their status and their fame and how they looked to other people. And knowing that Paul was a typical Pharisee, because he was one of them that ordered some killings of Stephen, we can assume that he lived even with this kind of love for money, right? Because in Romans 7, Paul says that he was guilty of coveting. He was guilty under the law of God that God commanded in Exodus. But he says that this law exposed his own sinful heart and in verse 10 in Romans 7 he says the very commandment that proved life or that promised life proved to be death to me so this is obviously now after he has met Jesus and there's this whole new experience of being revived and re and and being in relationship with Jesus and he has this new perspective of what it means to be in relationship with God and being by faith, committed to follow God. So we see this journey, right? We see this journey of Paul from the road of Damascus, which was in 33 AD, up until the point where he sends this letter to the Philippian church in 60 to 62 AD. I'm not exactly sure on that date, but let's say 60 to 62. And there was this journey of 27 to 29 years of Paul doing ministry, in all the in some in the regions planting churches traveling being shipwrecked going from prison to prison being beaten for and for these faith being persecuted from one city to the next i can imagine and when he wrote i can do all things through christ it wasn't just a statement to encourage the church of philippi it was a statement of life experience of knowing what it means to be content, even in the worst of circumstances. 
So for us, it's not just a WhatsApp status that makes us feel better in certain situations when we need to feel better. So how did Paul learn to be content? How did Paul learn to be content? So when we take a look at the, at the life of Paul, like I said in the beginning, there was certain moments in his life where we can say he learned how to be content. The first was in Acts 16. In Acts 16, it's this story of where Paul and Silas was in Philippi, but um, they were kind of pursued by this slave girl who was a fortune teller. And Jesus, uh, Paul comes and he costs out the demon. And the people who enslaved this girl did not like that one bit because they were the ones that then ordered the prisoning, imprisoning of Paul and Silas. Yes? In that moment, they are sitting in prison and they are worshipping. They are singing hymns unto God. And it doesn't say that in the Bible, but I can imagine that in that moment they were maybe even sharing the gospel with some of the other prisoners because what happened was this incredible miracle in Acts 16 where there's an earthquake and the jail cells break open and they have the opportunity to leave, right? You can even say that God ordained this escape for Paul and Silas. Prison guard comes running in and he's about to kill himself as was ordered if you lose your your God, if you lose your prisoners then you will be killed and he's about to kill himself and Paul yells out and he says do not kill yourself for all of us are still here and I don't know when was the last time that you were in prison and had the opportunity to escape but in that moment I would have run I would have taken that opportunity to leave but Paul was so content with God and his calling and his purpose that they were worshiping, singing hymns to God and sharing the gospel up until the point, and it says in Acts 16, where he shared the gospel with the jailer and his whole family got saved and baptized. Friends, I, th I believe that in this, we can see as Paul writes in Philippians 1 verse 21, as he says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Regardless of my circumstances, I am willing to live for Christ, even if it means that I have to die. This just shows us the, that Paul's understanding of the gospel was to be able to lay down our lives for the furtherment of the gospel. Paul understood that Jesus laid down his life up until the point of death, and Paul was to follow in the same way of life. I think many of us sitting here this morning, listening to this message, I think many of us live in jail and not in Jesus because we allow our circumstances to define who we are and we don't define, we are not defined by Jesus. When we look to our circumstances to give us purpose, when we look to our circumstances to give us fulfillment, or even when we look to our circumstances to give us identity, we are waiting for external experiences to come and change the internal reality or significance that is lacking because we are not hearing that from Jesus. Externally, we want to look better. So we get the freedom of movement shoes. We get the iPhones. We get the, the bikes. We get the things that we ultimately will make us feel 
better because when we know that person at the bra is going to comment on my shoes or my whatever I'm wearing, it's going to make me feel better. But how long does that loop take until we get to the point where we feel unsatisfied again? How long until we get to the place where we feel discontent again? Friends, when we seek significance from our jobs, from our salaries, from the people that we hang out with, we are looking to our circumstances to provide the significance that only Jesus can provide us. Paul was in jail. Probably some of the worst circumstances that you could ever imagine. Yet he was able to worship. He was able to worship. Why? Because he learned that in all circumstances, God is with him and loves him and has a calling for him and has a purpose for him to complete in that job. Friends, are you able to sing and worship God this year in the worst of circumstances? Are you able to sing and worship God in your current circumstances? Whether it is good or bad. And I don't know where you are this morning. But are you able to worship God despite your circumstances? A second thing that Paul learned how to be content is to also not compare his life or to compare his calling with that of others. We see Paul never really speaking about Peter doing this or John doing this or comparing himself to some of the other disciples. He knew that God has spoken to him, that Jesus spoke to him and said that you will suffer for my name's sake. And he knew that sitting in jail, he was not comparing his circumstances or his life in that moment to the other disciples, wherever they were in that moment. Paul knew that comparing his life was not what gives him significance. See, friends, I think that many of us in this life, we do this thing where we compare one level up. Yes, we compare with in this time of the year, we look to what other people are doing for holiday and we are saying, yo, it must really be going well with them, which in essence says it's not going that well with me because look, they can go on holiday for two weeks. And I was only able to go on holiday for one week. Then you, when you get to the place where you are going on holiday for two weeks, you're looking to the people that's going on holiday for three weeks and you're like, yo, if only I had the opportunity to go on holiday for three weeks. Poor old me. Then you get to three weeks and you look at people who go away for a month and you're like, oh, I would have really been rested out if I had the opportunity to go on holiday for four weeks. Look at how great they are doing. And we, we do this thing where we compare with people just above where we are, friends and family that are able to do things that we are not. And we're like, oh, wow, I'm not as good. I'm not as great. I'm not as worthy. The opposite is also true, where we sometimes compare ourselves with people that are just less than us. And that gives us a greater sense of significance. We look to people and we say, at least I have your, we can be so thankful because we have two cars. I'm living in a house with two garages. Some people only live in a house with one garage. How thankful am I? And I don't think that is the right thing. And I don't think that is how Paul learned how to be content. 
because in verse 12 he says, Paul, Paul says, I experienced much and I experienced little. But how did he measure that? How did he know what was much and how was little? I believe that Paul had an absolute standard of much and he had an absolute standard of little based on the gospel of Jesus Christ, not based on what he felt in that moment or what he needed or what he wanted. He had an absolute standard of what is much because Jesus was willing to lay down his life up until the point of death to give life to others. And Paul says, I will do the same and that is my standard of what is necessary and what is my standard of what it means to be worthy and significant. Philippians 3 verse 7 to 8, Paul says, But whatever gain I had, I counted it as loss for the sake of Christ. Verse 8, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Whatever gain Paul had before he met Jesus, whatever gain Paul had before as a life, as a, phar- as a Pharisee, he said that all of that, is not as significant and as worthy as my relationship with the King of Kings. To me, this is a very, very challenging mindset to learn and to live in, in accordance with. Because I can't necessarily say that there are moments throughout this year in 2023 where I have absolutely nailed this contentment. In fact, there was many moments where I compared my life with some of my friends. There was many moments when I compared or had circumstances that was not as ideal as some of my friends. And I'm not necessarily sure that I can say, Jesus is enough, full stop. If you know me and if you know my story and if you know me a bit better as a friend, you would know that I really love to play golf. Amen. Golf is one of those things that really fills my tank. It's one of those things that I really enjoy. Um, but when you play golf, it obviously comes with quite a few expensive stuff. You know, like you have to have the right shoes. Can't be slipping around whilst you are trying to hit a, goal, a golf ball 350 meters. I mean, you can't have um, the wrong clubs. You can't have the wrong bag. You have to need, you have to have the right stuff. I mean, I mean, come on. Right? You have to have the right stuff. So when I started playing golf, it was in 2016, and um, I had like a very mediocre kind of set. Um, I'm not going to name names or brands, but I had this set, and there was just this longing in me to be as good as my friends, or be better, because I'm very competitive. To be better than them. And I said to myself that I need the right things. I can't be playing with the wrong things. I need the right things. And so what I did was I started comparing. I started using my golf clubs in comparison to them because they are playing great with these golf clubs and they have the right things. So I started, I literally, there was a time where I was studying shafts, literally the thing that you, that goes between the handle and the club because that makes a difference. Believe me, I'm telling you. That truly makes a difference. And there was like, I spent time And what also started happening is you start irrationally spending money because you need that thing to be as good as your friends. So I brought this, it's got no relevance, but I brought this medal from my previous life more to show you 
as a pendulum how it works when we swing between our circumstances and when we compare with other people. Because I was comparing myself with how good other people are playing, so I was trying to change my circumstances. And when, when I got to the right circumstances, I looked to my friends again, and they were starting to play better, and I never thought that you need to go for coaching. So I went for coaching so I can change my circumstances. And from that changing my circumstances, I eventually started beating my friends. And that loop just continued. Why? Because this pendulum is actually rooted in a sin that God takes really serious. And he names it in one of his commandments, which is called coveting. When we are anchored in coveting friends, we will always continue to swing between our circumstances or comparing with others in our lives. Why? Coveting is this thing which drives us to say that we want more, we want better, we want to feel satisfied because of what we have and what we can do and how we can accomplish things. But once you start doing that, or let me ask it like this, once you actually get what you want, is that enough? Will you stop then? Or are you going to continuously look for more? Exodus 20 verse 17 says, You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his male servant, or his male female servant, or his donkey, or his ox, or anything that is your neighbor's. And this commandment was given by God for us to kind of know that where we are supposed to stop as a command for us to know that God is enough and we need to trust in his fullness. And I think God gave a list of things up until the point where he said ox and donkey because he knew that our human condition would not be able to stop. Friends, coveting is important for God because we place things and people and what people say as more significant as, and as more important in our lives and we actually start worshipping that as idols. We start following those things as idols. The commandment clearly shows that we don't know when to stop. For me, at first, when I got convicted about this, it was golf clubs. But it could have ended with coveting someone else's wife. When is enough? And this morning what I want to share with you is that coveting is the opposite of Christ. Coveting is the opposite of Christ. Because in Christ, when we are swinging between this pendulum, and we will always have circumstances in our lives, and we will always have this feeling of trying to be like our friends, but at least we are anchored in Christ. Because Christ is the one that fixes our position to know that when we are in difficult circumstances, we are able to overcome. When we are in difficult challenges, we are able to overcome. Not because of comparing to what others have and what they, but I need to get through this circumstance. But because Christ is enough. Christ is enough that produces, he produces joy and peace and contentment in our lives to know that when we are in him and when he defines us, we are enough and we are significant and we are loved and we are worthy. And this produces a contentment in us. So what is contentment? 
Um, Dr. Kevin Smith, who is the Dean of Sats, wrote this. The secret to a happy life is not to want, not to have what we want, but to want what we have. If we are not content with what we have, we shall not be content with what we want. Contentment, then, is an inward trust in God's goodness and his sovereignty in our lives, knowing that God is there with us, despite and regardless of our outward circumstances. Paul says in the scripture, I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. It says that he has learned to be content, which indicates to us that there was a process of growing in the knowledge of God's character. There was a process of knowing God in his life for 27 years. It's not just something that Paul said, that he can do all things through Christ. Paul, who was Saul, from being a Pharisee to meeting Jesus on the road to Damascus, to in every circumstance be able to say, I am content regardless of what's going on on the outside. He says in the scripture, I am to be content. And this gives us the indication that to be means we need to make a choice. We need to make a choice to say, I am going to trust God above my circumstances because he is with me. Philippians 4 verse 5 says that the Lord is at hand. And Paul learned to be content because Jesus was with us, was with him and promised to be with him. The same promise that Jesus gave us to be with us until the very end of the age. So I wrote down this definition, that true contentment is the process of learning to trust the character of God and his plans for your life above your circumstances because he is with us. So how can you be content? In the beginning, I shared that many of us are writing down lists, we are making um, plans for the year of 2024. And we are doing this probably from a place of wanting to change just who we are or change where we are going or change something that we are unsatisfied about ourselves. And when we are always trying to fill this life, it will continuously produce this loop of swinging between our circumstances and comparing what we don't have with, with others. But this morning, I want to challenge you. As we are making resolutions or lists or plans, depending on where you fall on the debate, I want to challenge you that you start from a place of knowing God's goodness in your life. That you would know God's faithfulness in your life. And from that place of reflecting on what he has done for you and is going to do for you and that he has promised to be with you, Start making a list. Start making a list. And submit that unto God. Submit it at his feet. And just say, Lord, I submit my heart's desires. I submit what I think this year is going to entail. I submit the circumstances and the challenges that I face. I submit it unto you. And by that, I want to worship you regardless of my circumstances regardless of what is coming, regardless of what I'm facing. 
So maybe here is a good New Year's resolution to start from, to start planning from. In 2024, I choose to be content as I trust God and where he leads me, I will follow. So Nick, you, can, you guys can come up. In 2024, I choose to be content as I trust God and where he leads me, I will follow. Why? Because friends, the greatest contentment that we would ever receive in this life is the fact that we know where we will spend eternity when we put our faith in Jesus Christ. The greatest peace that you will ever experience in your life is knowing that God sent his son down to earth, his only beloved son, so that we are able to experience the peace and the unity of being in relationship with our father once again when we put our faith in Jesus and that he died and that he was resurrected on the third day. I don't know about you, but that just fills me with joy and that fills me with hope knowing that Jesus was the one that paid the price that I could not pay. This produces a peace in my heart, knowing that it surpasses all the worst and anything that anyone can ever add onto my life. It gives me a joy this morning to be able to say that I once struggled with the idea of wanting better and more and, and greater. And that I can stand now on the other side and be content knowing that God is my provider. And he will provide. And he will be with you. He will never forsake you. He will never leave you. Why? Because his character is good. It is by this peace that we can live and be content to know if he was willing to pay the ultimate price by his son, by sending his son to die for our sins. How much more is a loving father willing to do when we are in moments of need, in moments of challenges? Let's close our eyes. Father, I thank you that it's not based on our desires, not based on what we can do for you but based on what your son has already done for us, that we can sit here this morning and know that we can be content. We can be content going into the year of 2024 and have peace in our souls to know that you will be with us. The Lord is at hand. Father, I thank you that in this moment, whatever lists, whatever desires, whatever news resolutions we have maybe already started writing down. Thank you that we can submit that to the King of Kings, to the creator of the moon and stars of this whole earth, and that we can know your will is better for our lives than our will is for ourselves. And I thank you, Father, for the year of 2023 that has proclaimed your faithfulness. This morning I was reminded of the, the theme that we started out with in, in 2023, the theme of miracles. And I don't know about you, but I have heard of many miracles throughout the, the year of 2023. I know for my life and where my wife and I is, are at the moment, we had one thing that we wrote down 
in uh, in my journal, um, in prayer and fast week last year, that God answered, and it is a very significant thing for my wife and I. We're not pregnant. Let me just put that out there. But just experiencing God as a loving Father over our lives, that He is with us, and that He will never forsake us, and He will, and that His plan for our lives is much greater than the things that we have even started to plan in the year of 2023. I want us to to respond from this message and this scripture this morning. Um, in the song that we sang this before, I want us to, to really respond. And I want to challenge you that we would respond in the same way that Paul and Silas would have responded sitting in jail. Not looking to their circumstances, not looking to the fact that they are in captivity, but that they are in Jesus and that Jesus has provided a way out for them. I want, I want to ask that you would stand. Lord, I thank you that we are able to worship you this morning, not looking at the unknowns or the things that is coming in 2024, but knowing that you are faithful and that you have provided all we need in all sufficiency, in all times. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.